refugees. And uh, we, we got down to the place where we're going to see uh, his frontal attacks. He destroys and deceives. But before we get there, I want to give kind of an introduction uh, to temptations because every single one of us are tempted. Every single one of us. And I just want to read a passage out of Ephesians chapter 6. just want to read a couple of verses, and then I want to talk for just a few minutes, then we'll get into our study. But in chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Father, bless the reading of your word tonight. And open our hearts to recognize the absolute certainty of temptations. And help us, Father, to understand those. Whether they are those prisoner of war assaults we spoke about last week. Or whether they're the frontal attacks that we will talk about tonight. And Father, as we look into this, help us to recognize and help us to reject the temptations that come in our lives. And help us, Father, to be strong in the Word and in Your mind and in Your will. And to know, Father, that there is no temptation that's overtaken us that You have not already been aware of or been tempted by. And, Father, I thank You that Your precious Son faced every temptation without sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me ask this question. Why... Are we tempted with the same old temptations over and over and over and over and over again? You ever thought about it? Why are these same temptations the ones that I struggle with so much? Well, let me ask you this. When was the last time you found yourself struggling to say no to a temptation? When's the last time that you, that you had to put on the brakes and you had to say, Lord, if I don't do this in your power, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to succumb to that temptation. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Well, yes, I was tempted and drawn away and I succumbed to the temptation, but... You know, God understands. That's an excuse. God understands. Well, no, God forgives. But God gives you the power to resist the temptations that come into your life. But what often happens is we want to make an excuse. Now, there's a huge problem because temptation is everywhere now. You think about it. You turn on the radio, there's temptation. You're tempted to do what? Well, you deserve this. You ought to buy this. You ought to do this. 
And many times, you know you can't afford to do those things or buy those things, but you still do because you deserve it. And you say something like this in your mind. Well, you just don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how difficult it's been for me. And what happens is we start making these petty excuses to go against the will of God, to miss His very best, His blessings for us, to short-circuit the things that He has in store for us, to fulfill an immediate, compulsive desire that lets us not have the very best of what God wants us to have. Not only do you hear it on radio, you see it on TV, don't you? You see it on TV. You see a sh- something shiny and new, and I want that. I need that. I deserve that. I should have that. I've worked hard. I've worked 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week. I deserve that. Do you know what we really deserve? Nothing. Everything is a precious gift from God. Any good thing that we have comes down from the Father of lights. And we need to understand that the temptations that often come, they may bring pleasure for a moment, but they bring pain often for a lifetime. And yes, God will forgive, but here's the problem. Every time we're faced with that temptation, which is kind of that temptation, there's a scar there. Now, you're forgiven, but the scar is still there. And the pain is still there. And sometimes we even have difficulty forgiving ourselves. You flip open your iPad or your laptop. Temptation's everywhere out there. Nobody will know. God does. And He sees it all. And He's not taken by surprise with any of it. And Satan tempts us over and over and over. And here's what we often do. Sometimes we, you know, we, we, we fight the temptation. And sometimes we fight the temptation in the power of God. And we are victorious. And sometimes we fight the temptation in the power of our flesh. And we yield. And sometimes we just don't even fight the temptation. We just embrace the temptation. And what's the purpose that Satan has in all of this? It's to draw us away from the perfect will of God. That we will fail, we will lose our testimony, and we will lose face. We'll be ashamed. Think about it. It's not, nothing's really changed. I mean, temptation hasn't changed. When uh, Satan came into the Garden of Eden and tempted Eve... What did he do? He said, oh no, if you eat this fruit, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be so fulfilling. You'll be like God. It's the same old story. Oh, it'll be so good, this temptation. Go ahead and take this. Do this. And when we do, when we're led astray and we're led away, it always brings pain. And it brings loss. And it brings hurt. And it brings dysfunction. So let me ask you this question. What? Now I want you to answer. I do not want you to answer. What 
is the strongest temptation in your life. And if you're thinking, I don't have one, then you're not being honest with yourself. Because there is a temptation. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But why do you think the devil has used that to tempt you time and time and time again? And, and then we ignore the warnings of God, and then we don't receive the blessings of God, and then we don't receive the best that God has for us, because God has a will for your life, a perfect will. And that perfect will for your life will lead you into that abundant life. But so many Christians live a defeated life, because they don't walk in the power of the Spirit of God. In fact, I read Ephesians chapter 6. The first three chapters are are three great chapters of blessings. And then you come to chapter 4, and it talks about walking in Christ, walking in the Lord. And and it's it's, it's the word peripieto, and it means a worthy walk. And then he comes to Ephesians 6, and he said, here's what happens. You're going to be tempted over and over and over again, so you won't have a worthy walk. Because that temptation will come. And we often try to ignore God's flashing lights and the bells that are going off. And we run right through it. I wrote this down today, and I want to read it because I I want to be sure that I get it just like I wrote it. And I was thinking, what is the definition of of a satanic attack? Here's my definition. It is a deliberate willful assault by Satan upon an individual with the purpose of doing them harm, spirit, soul, body, or all three. That's what it is. That's the definition of of a satanic attack. Now, when does this happen? It happens any time that Satan leads us away from the will of God and out of the divine purpose that God has for our life. And you know, often when these temptations come, it's when we're at our weakest. Right? And when we're at our weakest, these temptations come, and then we, we relent. We, we give in to the temptations. But have you ever heard someone say, well, you know, I can tell you this, that this, this is one thing I will never do. <laughs> Wow, guess what Satan's done then? He just put a check mark by your name and that temptation. So be careful. Be careful what you say because Satan can use that against you and he'll try to trip you up. Every single believer, regardless of how long they have walked with the Lord, we will face temptation until we leave this world. And we have to be on guard, putting on the whole armor of God, because here's the result of temptation. It's division and destruction. Think about it. What's Satan's objective in temptation? What, I mean, what, what, what is, what, what's his Objection. Objective, I mean. To get his way in your life, perfect. It's to draw you away from God, isn't it? And to draw you to himself. 
Remember what he wanted? He wanted to be worshipped. I am, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will be higher than God. I will do this. Second, it's what you said, to thwart the purpose of God in our life. You see, God has a purpose for your life, for every one of our lives. God has a purpose. And, and, and what happens is God has this road planned out, but you and I are on a zigzag pattern, and some people are just way off course like this. And God says, here's my perfect will. <clears throat> it was described to me this way by George Thomas. George said, he looked at, at the will of God like choices in life. He said, you start out on a super highway. And you have all of these side roads. Some are, are U.S. roads, some are dirt roads, etc. And he said, what happens is, as you're going down that road, you have all of these choices in front of you. But once you get off on a side road, you have fewer choices than you had before. And then when you get off on the pig trail, you have fewer choices than you had before. And pretty soon, you're in the middle of nowhere. And you have no choice then. And I thought that was a pretty good analogy to, all right, Lord, you show me your will. You show me your path, your purpose for my life, and let me stay on that course. And that course will lead to life. And, and then the third thing is to deny the worship of God. He doesn't want us to worship God. And God is the only one who deserves worship. But Satan tries to draw us away into himself. And you know what his ultimate goal is? Destruction. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. And that's his purpose. That's his goal. That's his objective in life. Now, he wants to destroy relationships. He wants to divide families. He wants divorce to enter in. Those three strategies, or that strategy that I described can be defined in three words. I'm going to give these three words to you, then we're going to read passages of Scripture, then I'm going to go to our study tonight. But this has all been just kind of, if you will, a long introduction. Okay? A long introduction. His strategy is to deceive us. And when I say to deceive us, it's to lie to us. No, God doesn't want you to have that. God, 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 God wants this for your life. He don't want, doesn't want that for your life. So he wants to deceive us. And the whole world's attempting to deceive us. The second thing he wants to do is divide us. Think about it. Is a nation how divided we are today? Think how divided families are today. Churches are today. It's unbelievable how divided. And then the chaos, the criticism, and all of those things come rolling in. And then thirdly, what does want to destroy us. 
That's his purpose. That's his ultimate goal. Destroy everything that we have. Destroy, as I said, our testimony. Destroy our physical life. Destroy our financial life. Destroy our marriages. Destroy, destroy, destroy. These are the strategies that he has used since Eden. And they are the strategies he still uses today. Listen, as believers... When temptation comes, here's what you need to ask yourself. First, am I being deceived? Am I being deceived? Second, we need to ask, is my mind being divided? Because what does James say about a double-minded man? What's the ending of that? Unstable in all of his ways. So, Is my mind divided? And thirdly, if I make this decision and follow this temptation, is it going to lead me to destruction? We need to ask those questions. We need to be watchful as a child of God. We need to be alert. And and I think I've got it here. Let me look real quick. I thought I had it pegged, but I don't. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I halfway quoted it, but let me read it. No temptation has overcome you except as is common to man. Every temptation is common. It's not, you're, not, you're, you're not unusual. <laughs> I mean, you're not, not the exception. But here, listen, you need to listen to this. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, you know what he's really saying? No excuse. No excuse. I will be with you. So... Let's look at his frontal assaults because we know that uh, Satan's strategies are to attack, to assault. Uh, but I want to look tonight at just a little, just a short period of time because we don't have a lot of time. But I want us to look at his frontal attacks. He destroys and devours. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. We are to be sober and we are to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, does what? Walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now that's a pretty frightening metaphor. A roaring lion. You know what happens when a lion roars? The prey freezes. That's what happens. And... You know what we're to have? We're to have the whole armor of God so we're not consumed by the fiery darts of the wicked one. That we're able to repel him because we know he has this frontal attack and he's coming to devour us. And how does he do this? Number one, he does it through occult, the occultism. And uh, the occult, it's setting, it's, that means it's setting yourself up 
as God. And Revelation 13, 4 says these words. So they worshiped the dragon and gave authority to the beast. What they do? That's the cultism. That's following Satan. That's not following God because the only person that's due true worship is God. And they worshiped the beast saying, who's like the beast? What happened? Their eyes were blinded. They were deceived. It's a frontal attack. It's right before them. Who is able to make war with him? I mean, what, what, what can we do? We just have to fall in line. Right? And that's what the world thinks. And that's what the world will do. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 21. What am I saying then? This is Paul. And, and, and Paul says that an idol is anything. And he's going through this whole discourse because... In Corinth, they had this, if, if you wanted to go to a pagan society, well, let me just say, if you wanted to go to Las Vegas on a Sunday, Saturday night, Corinth was your place. Everything went. There was nothing held back. It was a cosmopolitan city, the crossroads. They had the military there. They had the Romans there. They, they, they had everyone there from every society. And it didn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter how, whatever you can imagine, it was going on at Corinth. I mean, Paul even said, you know what? You're not supposed to be sleeping with your father's wife. Probably a stepmother, but still... I mean, that's how bad things were there. Anything's an idol, things offered to idols is anything. Paul, because here's what they were doing. They were, they were, worth, they were I mean, they were, they were, there were places of worship everywhere. And, and people would go, and they'd make these sacrifices, and they would sell the meat. And they were going and buying it. And Paul said, well, listen, idol's nothing. It's nothing, but here's the problem. You keep going to places you shouldn't go, and when you go to places you shouldn't go, you'll do things you shouldn't do. Right? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. In other words, listen. <clears throat> if, 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 and I know that we're all, a little, most of us are a little bit older, so... Our desires have changed somewhat. But I always used to tell people, that when, if, when you're young, don't put yourself in a pit of passion and try to fight your way out because you lose every time. Right? I promise you, you will. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord because guess what he's going to do in chapter 11? He's going to talk about the taking the cup which is the blood and the bread, which is the body. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You, in other words, you can't straddle the fence. You're either <clears throat> with God or you're not with God. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words... Back in the early 80s, Bob Dylan supposedly had a conversion experience. I don't know if he did or not. Not for me to know. That's up between him and God. But he wrote this song that I really liked. He said, you got to serve somebody. And you do have to serve somebody. You're serving somebody. You say, oh, no, I don't serve anybody. I'm not, I, no, you serve somebody. You may not recognize it, but you do. 
And if you're serving the world, you're serving Satan. And there's only one other option, and that's God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got to serve somebody. The question is, who will it be? In Isaiah 14, we see Satan, we see what, what he does. We've read this over and over. I know you know it, but uh, it, I, I just had to put it down one more time. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the further sides of the north. I will ascend over the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. What is that? What would you call that? Well, yeah, put it in a country fashion. Yeah, getting above your raisin for sure. But wouldn't you call that blasphemy? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's blasphemy. I'll set myself up above you, God. One of the Beatles said that. John said we're bigger than God. We're bigger than Jesus. Bigger than Jesus, yeah. Interesting story to follow up on that if you want to hear the rest of it. He, uh, <clears throat> he wrote a letter out in Tulsa. There was an evangelist back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, built a hospital built a t- uh, and was asking for money. Remember, did anybody know that man's name? Come on. Huh? Oral Roberts. And Oral Roberts received a letter from John Lennon. And in that letter, he'd been watching Oral Roberts, and he said that he wanted to give his life to Jesus Christ. But do you know what happened next? Yoko Ono, his wife, who is an occultist, said, no. No. And he even sent some money to the Oral Roberts ministry. But she said no. Mm. Anyway, that just that, since you brought that up, yeah, that wasn't something. I, that was just an aside, guys. It wasn't. That's exactly right. Don't be unequally yoked, right? Big deal. Big deal. Hmm. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> also, the frontal attacks come through possession. And, and you say, well, you know, I, I, well, you see possession in the New Testament. You see some possession in the Old Testament. But I don't think there's any possession anymore. Well, Chad, would you disagree with that? I bet you've seen a lot of people that were possessed, haven't you? I, I, I mean, it's unbelievable. And can do some incredibly, I mean, almost superhuman things with what they're possessed by. Possession. John chapter 13, verse 2 and verse 27. Here's what happened to Judas Iscariot. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. And, watch what it says. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan 
entered him. Now let me just make a statement. Satan cannot enter a believer. Judas was there for the free food, the sideshow, and the hope of being a political powerhouse. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do it quickly. And we know what he did, don't we? He betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And then you know what happened? What's Satan's ultimate plan? Destruction. What happened afterwards? He went out and did what? Took his life, hanged himself. He was deceived, right? And finally destruction came. Also, through disease and death is another frontal attack of Satan. And Luke chapter 13, verse 16. This is when Jesus healed a woman. She'd been bound for 18 years, and, and uh, she was stooped over and couldn't straighten up. And So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And you know what Jesus did? He healed her on the Sabbath. Just like He healed a man with a withered hand. Just like He healed a man that, that was lame. One that was blind. He healed him. He did it on the Sabbath though, so guess what? They were a little bit upset. But Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, through disease and death. Don't you know? With that infirmity, don't you know how hard it was on her? But Jesus healed her. Jesus took care of her need. In Acts 10, 38, we have Cornelius. When Paul or Peter goes down and he says, what's been cleaned has been cleaned. And it says these words, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. He heals. That frontal attack, and he heals because, listen, even Paul said, I I was buffeted. I had a thorn in my flesh. I asked the Lord to take it three times, but he didn't remove it. We don't know why, but he didn't. Let's go to our next text, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Here's Paul, just kind of, kind of quoting what he said. And lest I should be exalted above measure. You know why he may have had this thorn in the flesh? I mean, Paul was a brilliant man. Wrote 13 books in the New Testament. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a keeper of the law. Paul was used mightily by the Lord. Paul was taken up to the third heaven, which is heaven, and said he th- saw things unspeakable. So... Do you think maybe so he wouldn't be proud that God gave him a thorn and wouldn't take it away? And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So... Let's look at one more. Hebrews 2. And you know Hebrews 
You know what it's about, don't you? The book of Hebrews. You just write, just put one letter, one word over the book of Hebrews. Better. Jesus is better. That's it. Better. Better than the angels. Better than Moses. Better than the law. Better. 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 Better than Melchizedek. In so much then as the children have, partake, been, have partakers of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. And through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. That's why Jesus came to go to the cross to destroy the power of death and the devil because we were all in shackles and in chains and we needed to be freed. And by his death upon the cross, he freed us from that frontal attack of Satan. Because listen, what do most people fear? The two greatest fears that people have, number one, public speaking. Number two, death. But when Jesus has saved you, you don't need to fear death. Because it's not, it's not something to be feared. It's, it's a release. It's a going home. It's no more pain, sorrow, suffering, separation, or sin. It is perfect and longed for. All right, we're going to stop there tonight. Yes, Marty. Okay. Okay. We'll be praying, Marty. Thank you. All right. So when temptation comes, what are you going to do? Pray to God. <laughs> Just right. Lord, help me. Run. You know, you know what, I, what one person told me one time, I never forgot it. When Satan comes knocking, send Jesus to the door. <laughs> Thank you for being here tonight, and thank you, ladies, for all your hard work. And Sandy Massey? Okay, Barbara's home until surgery on Friday. All right, let's stand. Go to the Lord in prayer. All right, thank you for your presence tonight, and may God bless you. You two ladies, thank you. Would you dismiss us in prayer, please?